I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Martha McCallum, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, May 18th, 2020. I'm Trey Yinkst. The coronavirus outbreak is changing the landscape of the Middle East as regional tensions continue. The evidence is that Iran doesn't seem to be throwing as much money into Hezbollah or Hamas or some of the groups it used to fund lavishly. That doesn't mean that in terms of weapons transfers and other things, it's not trying to get around sanctions because, for instance, it's sending these tankers full of gasoline towards Venezuela. Obviously, it wants money. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. At the start of 2020, the world was preparing for the possibility of a war between Iran and the United States. A parallel event that unfolded was the continued fight against the resurgence of ISIS, Both of these stories have been placed on the back burner as a new battle against coronavirus emerged. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from journalist Seth Fransman, the author of After ISIS, America, Iran, and the Struggle for the Middle East. Starting first, though, with the World Health Organization that held its annual health assembly today online. Normally, the group's 194 member states would meet in Geneva, though the coronavirus has pushed the meeting to a virtual setting. A resolution was introduced by the EU and other countries calling for a probe into the initial outbreak of COVID-19. The Chinese government is still facing international criticism for their early handling of the coronavirus. Reports earlier this month indicated China pressured the WHO to delay issuing a global warning about COVID-19. Now to India, where Prime Minister Narendra Modi extended a countrywide lockdown for two more weeks. The decision comes as India sees more than 90,000 confirmed cases and nearly 3,000 deaths. Despite the tragedy, these numbers are widely considered as good for India that touts a population of 1.3 billion people. In an effort to help stabilize India's economy, the government is allowing some specific restrictions to be lifted. Takeout food will now be permitted, as well as sporting events with no spectators. Finally, to the Middle East, where the total number of COVID-19 cases surpassed 465,000 people today. Turkey remains the worst-hit regional area, with 150,000 total cases. On the other end of the spectrum, Israel reported no new cases during one of their twice-daily updates, an extremely positive sign for the country that looks to completely reopen in the coming days and weeks. While the coronavirus updates vary by country, there are ongoing questions about the future of the Middle East when it comes to the threat of Iran against Western allies and the possible resurgence of ISIS. Well, I would say at first there was certainly an initial shock. So borders were closed, for instance, you know, Turkey and Iran or Iraq and Iran. And there was a lot of concern, especially because it was coming out of Iran through Shiite pilgrims, that that was a serious issue. This is journalist Seth Fransman the author of After ISIS, America, Iran, and the Struggle for the Middle East. He joins me in studio today in Jerusalem. Prior to the fact that eventually it kind of exploded in Turkey, and now there's something like 150,000 cases there, or in the Gulf, lots of borders were closed. But we need to remember this region is a place where there already are a lot of border closures. A lot of countries don't get along with each other. Um, So I think in some ways it didn't change things in the long term. It did force the United States to kind of reposition forces, But again, I would argue that there's kind of – that was an excuse. The United States wanted to do it anyway, and they used the coronavirus to say, oh, see, now we can't do these partnering missions anymore. So in some ways, it accelerated certain processes that were already there. And also in some of the states that are most chaotic, like Syria, um, Yemen, Libya, there's virtually no change because there's no way for the UN and WHO, which has basically kind of dropped the ball on this, to actually helping the local people. So I feel like these countries are kind of just going about things as normal. 
those on the ground who are worried about the virus kind of understand that no one's going to come help them. The Iranians reportedly had up to five times the number of coronavirus cases and deaths as they actually talked about. And we already saw the Iranians struggling under heavy economic sanctions led by the Trump administration targeting the sectors in Iran that make the regime money. What do you see as the future for the regime as they've clearly been hit hard in some capacity? We don't really know exactly how bad it was from the coronavirus outbreak, along with these economic sanctions and just the current state of play in the region. Well, it's clear that Iran certainly is under the sanctions and therefore doesn't have as much money to throw around. So the evidence is that Iran doesn't seem to be throwing as much money into Hezbollah or Hamas or some of the groups it used to fund lavishly. That doesn't mean that in terms of weapons transfers and other things, it's not trying to get around sanctions because, or for instance, it's sending these tankers full of gasoline towards Venezuela. Obviously, it wants money. And when you have to talk about precision guidance, weapons kits or drones, these are things that Iran can already make. And the Revolutionary Guard Corps, most of the guys in there, they're not there for the money. They're ideological. They're on a crusade or a jihad, right? So you know, a country that is uh, willing to kind of view the world in a kind of Manichaean jihadist or crusader-like mentality, you know, it's not all about being paid money. It's about fighting your enemies. So it seems to me that Iran – will be able to continue to kind of supply this precision guidance or these dangerous weapons. Or in many cases, Iran, by the way, doesn't sacrifice its own people. It just gets other people to die for it, right? So it tries to get Iraqi-based militias to kill Americans, or it tries to get people in Syria like Hezbollah operatives, or for instance, these Afghan mercenaries it hired that it doesn't pay very well to sacrifice their lives. You know, a lot of those players are already on the ground, and they're already there with the intention of sacrificing their lives. So how do you see the coronavirus affecting, though, their operations? I mean, would a disease outbreak like COVID-19 change the way the regime operates in the Middle East? I don't think so, because I think that the, the coronavirus, as we know, primarily affects, I mean, its worst effect is on older people. Uh, these are younger men, right, that make up the units. The people that were affected in Iran was, in, in fact, an elite structure, people in parliament or IRGC, higher-level people. They, that's true. They did, they did die. But the fact is, after having suffered some of these casualties, and I think just the Iranian worldview that views them as martyrs anyway. So if you die from the virus in the course of your work fighting against the great Satan America – that's a good thing, right? I mean, I just think that they, their view is like, that's fine. So this guy died of a virus. You know, that guy died of an airstrike or a bullet in the head. Okay, they're all martyrs. It's all great. So I think that, that we have to understand that that plays into it. And when the actual casualties from the virus are, what, 1% or 2%, I think Iran just expects, okay, that's just attrition rate. We can handle that. I want to dive a little deeper into what we talked about earlier and the concept of the Americans using this virus outbreak as an opportunity to make some of the moves, specifically in Iraq. I mean, we saw um, throughout the beginning of the year this back and forth between Baghdad and Washington, and the Iraqis basically saying, okay, we don't want the Americans here anymore, and America saying, thanks for having us, we're going to stay. And now we've seen the Americans make some moves as a result of coronavirus, saying that they need to protect troops in the region and these sorts of things. I mean, is this a new concept for America to use a, a virus, for example, to make some military decisions on the ground? Well, I don't think the United States military has faced something like this historically, I mean, in, in any recent memory. So certainly it's, it makes sense for the United States military globally, for instance, to do these put these stop movement orders in place where you don't have soldiers, you know, going cycling through a base where obviously if you have a few virus cases, 
everyone will just get sick from the commissary. The United States military had to make some changes. And it also makes sense if you're serving in a place like Iraq where the local conditions are basically not very good health care. Do you really want your special forces officers going out on a raid with a guy who could be sick? I mean, that could obviously have severe ramifications for, you know, officers who have been in the units for a decade or so. You know, you've put a lot of, obviously, work into this officer and funding. You don't want them to get sick. So you don't want to risk your people's lives. So it totally makes sense the United States would do certain types of things, like, for instance, isolate people on bases. I mean, Israel's doing that as well, isolating soldiers on bases. That's what you should do. I think there is a question here is why do the United States also all of a sudden – you know, move soldiers out or reposition them from five or six important bases that were basically areas where you have eyes and ears on ISIS in Nineveh Plains, K1, Q West, all these places in rural environments in Iraq, which is exactly where ISIS is. So you want to have people there. And I think the fact is America understood you have to pull these units back in because of the Iranian threat. Because the less guys you have hang out in the field in some base in the middle of nowhere, the less people can be killed by an Iranian rocket. And we know that several of them were killed. You've been listening to journalist Seth Fransman. We'll be right back. What do you make of these reports of top EU officials warning about ISIS using the coronavirus outbreak as an opportunity to basically come together and try to launch attacks in areas that they have sleeper cells or small groupings in Iraq and Syria? It seems that ISIS has, you know, definitely increased its attacks. I think that number have almost doubled in the last few months. So is that because of coronavirus or is it a spring offensive, you know, or is there a window of opportunity because the rest of Iraq is just totally chaotic? And I assume a combination of factors have meant that ISIS wants to increase its activity. However, the fact is in countries like Iraq where you have a curfew at night, any guy driving around in a pickup truck, that's an ISIS guy, right? So actually it makes ISIS in some ways more vulnerable. So they have to think about that a bit. But it does seem that they're trying to take advantage of this. Although, if you look globally, except for the attacks, I think, in Afghanistan, which were very, very bloody, and that may be, for other reasons, they're preying on the weakness of the African government. Do, are we really seeing an ISIS resurgence in Europe or Asia? I'm not sure we are. And so when you look at the broader picture of the region and militaries having to prepare, whether it's the threat of terrorism or the threat of Iranian proxies that are operating around Israel's borders, you mentioned the Israelis taking steps to ensure their military would be protected amid this virus outbreak. A, do you think that's the right thing to do, to basically section off a portion of your military to ensure that they'll be able to operate no matter what happens? And B, did we see other countries in the Middle East take a similar approach to ensure that they are prepared for any threats that could arise amid this global pandemic? I think Israel is a little bit unique because it is a high-tech country, and I think that you know, Israel has a large citizen's army, conscript soldiers. It's usual in Israel that soldiers will go home on weekends because that's kind of the nature of Israel. You know, soldiers might even go home at the end of the day. So for Israel to suddenly basically tell all the special units and combat soldiers, you're basically going to stay in your base forever or at least for a few months. And also people in the naval units, you're going to stay on your ship as a contained unit. You're not leaving the ship, i.e. we're not going to let any virus get into this little unit. And look, we saw what happened to a U.S. aircraft carrier. You don't want to have virus in there. So I think that Israel did something unique. I think that it was um, something that we didn't see in the region. I don't know of cases of other militaries in the region trying to do this exactly. Although, as I said before, Israel's army is a bit different because it's a citizen's army. A lot of armies in the region are more like a professional army. So the person who's on a base is just there anyway. So it's not unique that he, would, he or she would be on the base for two months. That's just how it works. So that's why Israel's a bit different. 
And then what stories do you think are being ignored in the international media right now because the focus is so heavy on the spread of COVID-19? What things are happening that people just aren't paying attention to because of the current environment? I would argue that certainly Syria and Libya are two examples. So in Libya, you have a heightened kind of proxy war between Turkish-backed groups in Tripoli or what is the central government versus the other government, which is in the other side of Libya, in eastern Libya, and there's a civil war going on, and there's a lot of drones being sent there by the UAE and Turkey. So that's a that's a conflict that no one seems to care about, and in fact, they should care about. It's a conflict that's gone on now for almost a decade, and it's heating up. And another place we should look at is obviously Syria, which I think it is not good that there is kind of people ignoring continued abuses by Turkish-backed groups in northern Syria against minorities like Kurds and things like that. Not enough is done to care about, for instance, some of the what happened to Kurds last year and the attacks on Christians or things like that. So I think we do need to pay more attention to what's happening in those places and also just in general what's happening in Syria, that the ball isn't being dropped and that you know it's not just the Assad regime getting to do whatever it wants. So those are places I would definitely put a – kind of spotlight on. Absolutely. Well, your reporting and writing about these topics have really been incredible, not only during this pandemic, but before uh, a lot of on-the-ground reporting that has been very insightful to audiences around the world. Journalist Seth Fransman, the author of After ISIS, America, Iran, and the Struggle for the Middle East. Seth, thanks again for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.